Eagles Entertainment. Eagles fans, the midterm election is right around the corner. Now is the time to create your game plan to vote on November 8th. Text EAGLES to 26797 to check your voter registration status. This year, voters will have the chance to elect officials to the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and many local and state positions. You can vote in person, by mail, or at a secure ballot drop box. If you are registered to vote in Philadelphia County, you can drop off your ballot at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday, November 6th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Our democracy is only as strong as our commitment to participate in it. Go Birds and go vote. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for week 10 in college football. Not a lot of ranked versus ranked matchups this week, but still some fun battles to break down. And to get you prepped, we've got a great group of guests. Number one, we've got Eric Galco for Mr. Relevant, director from the Shrine Bowl. He's going to help take us through uh, just where the Shrine Bowl is right now from a process standpoint, when our invites going out, when should acceptances start being announced, and then also some of the players that have helped themselves the most so far this season. Then we'll dig into some matchups here for this Saturday with Ben Fennell and Saturday scouting. Also breaking down Dane Brugler's latest top 50. He just dropped that on the athletic in the middle of this week. We've got picks with pick six. Ross Tucker and I continue our head-to-head battle as we close out the show. Great stuff uh, as always from Ross. Make sure you stick around for the end of this episode. Uh, As always, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a... uh, Make sure you subscribe. If you have a question, leave it there and we will answer it here in an upcoming episode. If you've got a mock draft or a big board you want us to break down, positional rankings, whatever it is, leave Leave it there. We will get to it here in an upcoming episode. Appreciate anyone that has thrown us your support here in recent weeks. That said, let's get into the start of the show. It's time now to welcome in Eric Galco for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All right, well, pleased to be joined this week by Mr. Relevant, and that is Eric Galco, a guy who's been on the show a number of times before. Uh, you can follow his work on Twitter at Eric Galco, obviously uh, the director of the Shrine Bowl. Eric, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast, man. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it, man. What's going on? It's uh, it's going, man. I can't believe we're talking through like week 10 in college football. It's insane that we have gotten to this point already. The season has been flying by. Before we get into some of the things happening on the field, though, uh, just give us an update. Uh, where you guys are at in the process in terms of the uh, the Shrine Bowl? Uh, have invites gone out yet? When will acceptances start being announced? You know, what's going on uh, with the Shrine Bowl? We're just a couple months away. Yeah, no, it's it's been uh, it's been a long grind um, from the preseason from our uh, Shrine Bowl 1000 back in July to now. It feels like it's all been one process, but it's, it's I know it's stretched out for everyone else who's not living this day to day. But uh, but no, it's we invites are out the door. Um, we sent our first little of invites, not not too many. Right. Not trying to fill our whole roster up in one first invites. A lot of football left to be played. But but our staff felt comfortable and our staff being our scouting staff, our advisors, Scott McLuhan, Greg Gabriel. We felt comfortable in a good number of players saying, hey, they've proved before the year and during the season, uh, they deserve to be some of the top, you know, top seniors in the country too. So we've got invites out the door. It's been exciting talking to schools, talking to players, talking to families about this whole process. And um, we'll have an acceptances over the next few weeks. We're going to let players focus on this. And, and really, Fran, I view this for these players as a business decision, right? Not necessarily it's fun. It's an all-star game. You should be celebrated. But this is a key part. And for a lot of players, the first piece of their entire draft process. So uh, we talk about kind of what that means, how we're going to take care of these players, what our resources are, what they're going to get out of this game, et cetera, too. So a lot of communication, and hopefully we'll be announcing some acceptances over the next few weeks. Yeah, I know that's an angle you always take with advising players, and you've done that for years, right, in terms of uh, just making yeah. it a business decision. And uh, one of those areas where they do have to make that call is with all the extra years of eligibility that players have gotten uh, due to the pandemic. And so there are, uh, every year you've got seniors that can decide, hey, do I want to go back to school and be a super senior, or do I go, uh, you know, go into the NFL draft? And obviously there are pros and cons to both sides. You're not going to fault a kid for uh, making a decision one way or another. But one guy this year who did bet on himself and clearly uh, looks to be winning that bet on himself it is Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker. Um, I want to ask you just about Hendon, his uh, evaluation, yeah. what, how you viewed him going into the season and obviously the huge jump uh, this fall playing for uh, that offense with the Vols. Yeah, you know, um, first off, great bet on himself. I spoke to Hendon last year and and uh, I, I think he asked a lot of people for input, but yeah. my input was like, hey, the question always for these players, right, is hey, can you, can you substantially get better 
and become a guy who could be a first round pick if you stay in school, right? Sure, if that's not right. the case, that may not be what for you, then and hey, maybe it's worth considering coming out. But but I've got a chance to talk to Hendon a few times over the summer. Um, and he is a special person. Um, he is a, you know, I dare say a one of one personality wise. And what I would say of Hendon just in briefly is that he is going to do whatever it takes legitimately, whether it's eating a certain food, whatever else. If you told him he had to do X, Y, Z to be a great quarterback, he will do X, Y, Z until he's that great quarterback. So um, I think that's that's kind of who he is, the person. That's why I think let him stay in school because he knew he can get a little bit better at Tennessee. And I think he also knew kind of how talented his team was. I think we're all learning how talented that receiver room yeah. is with uh, with uh, Jalen Hyatt and Brew McCoy stepping up along with Cedric Tillman even when Tillman was out. Yeah. Um, but it's awesome to see him succeed. And I think, you know, nipping the bud, I think the age thing, is is a weird argument, right? If you told me I could have a quarterback at 25 or at 21 who can start for me tomorrow in the NFL, um, I take it. I don't care how old he is. And I think that's going to be just fine. I think the leaving his offense will be a question he'll absolutely answer during the all-star game process and the combine process. And I think betting on himself is is one way. I think he's gotten better. And I think as efficient as he was last year, to do to be this efficient two years in a row is pretty historic. We look at Joe Burrow and his like LSU final season. And that was obviously the one of the best seasons of all time in college football. I think Hennon's going to get close to that, but he did this last year too, right? What three interceptions last year, like center percent completion percentage. Like he is a really hyper efficient, still athletic, still strong up quarterback, right? It's not some like smaller, you know, scrambling guy. He can win from the pocket. He can win out to the pocket, really efficient, really accurate. I think he is built to be an NFL quarterback. And for us, he's certainly, you know, risen in terms of like, where we view him in the NFL, but we came in with, with kind of a guy who could be an NFL starter coming into the season after last year. And he still remains that guy, but he's shown he could take, I think an NFL franchise to another level now as a quarterback, uh, which what he showed this year. Yeah. And obviously the, the all-star game process, like you mentioned, will be big for him, you know, a chance to go to, to the shrine bowl. You get coached by uh, an NFL coaching staff and kind of yeah. prove that to, yeah, Hey, you know, what? I can make that adjustment uh, to an NFL scheme. I think that will be big for a guy like Hendon. Now, um, who are some other seniors that you feel uh, have risen, have helped themselves, uh, with the way that they've played so far this fall? You know, it's a lot of guys. I think I think it's been uh, the super senior piece is difficult because I think some guys get knocked for being older, but I yep. think a lot of guys have have really emerged this year. I think uh, Clayton Toon and Tank Dell, quarterback-receiver combo, who we, we liked in the preseason, got a chance to meet them in the summer. I think they, especially this past week in South Florida, um, they've been really productive and they've been really impressive. Charlie Jones of Purdue, yeah. right, goes from being an Iowa punt returner, slot receiver, to being the feature receiver with another good quarterback combo, he and Aiden O'Connell. I thought he's played very well. Dalton Kincaid at Utah at tight end. He's emerged with Cam Rising, his quarterback. A lot of good quarterback uh, tight end pairings there for sure, too. So those are some guys on offense that really jump out to us that saying, hey, we want to see how they take that next step and could they be top players. And guys like Tank Dell and, and Charlie Jones and Dalton Kincaid, you know, we're probably coming into this year. Maybe guys who want to see how they play or what kind of talent level do they have to And All those guys look like guys that can start in the NFL tomorrow. And really, that's what makes like the new transfer rule so fun with a guy like Charlie Jones, because yeah. Jones, you know, going as you mentioned, his previous role at Iowa, it would have been like, all right, like he's probably at like a lower level All Star game, and like I, you know, you don't know what he's going to be, and then he would have to show up at that All Star game or show up at the combine or at his pro day to really get on the radar. But uh, now the portal allows him to to make that move and instantly prove like, ah, I could I could be a productive pass catcher. Yeah, and I think it's really important that the transfer transfers can be scary sometimes, even as evaluated, because you're like, how's this guy going to fit in this new scheme, this new situation? But but, but really, the guys that work out best, no surprise, are going to be good scheme fits, right? Charlie Jones knows they know Connell from their days growing up, right? So that connection was forged right right away, and I think. That's what's really important for transfers when kids look at this stuff is, hey, if I go to this school, why is this school better than the last school I was at, right? And I think the guys that have success in the transfer portal are ones that kind of have thought that through and really walk into a great situation. All right, well, let's uh, keep th talking through some players that can continue helping themselves, and that's a guy that uh, maybe you're expecting some big things from down the stretch. Perhaps it was due to a slow start, injuries, some other kind of factor there that kept them from being productive early in the season, but you think have the ability to finish strong here these last couple of months. Yeah, I'll say at quarterback, I think Jaron Hall of BYU mm. has struggled these last couple of games, but really, really talented. And he's a guy that I've watched probably all of his games, in part because they're on Thursday, Friday sometimes during yeah. the week, uh, which which helps as an evaluator, as well as, hey, I know he's playing well, but they're losing games and what's going on there. So I think Jaron Hall will, will kind of bounce back the rest of the season. I'm hopeful that Luke Musgrave of Oregon State can come back from injuries or really talented tight end. And he's been kind of banged up this year. And they're hopeful he's going to come back pretty soon too. But, but those are the two guys that I think 
hey, I, I, those two guys can go a lot higher in the draft, but with with downplay and, and losing games for Jaron, especially Luke Musgrave coming back, Luke Musgrave has first-round traits, first-round potential that I think if he can really bounce back and, and come back the last couple of games of the season, I think NFL teams will be excited about him as we go to the draft process. Yeah, Musgrave, at that size with the speed that he's got down the scene, yeah. there, there's a lot to like there. Uh, to be yeah. even a, not just a, a speed guy, but just a, a well-rounded player at the position. Um, one of the yeah. last questions I've got for you is just a guy that uh, your surprise isn't getting a little bit more love um, from the media. Obviously, very tied in with uh, everything going around from an NFL standpoint. But is there a guy that you're shocked? Like, yeah, I don't know why. Like, the media hasn't caught on to what this guy could be at the next level. You know, it feels like there's a lot, man. Yeah. I, I haven't checked too many media boards in the last couple of months, but I checked a few here or there, and it seems like guys like Osiris Torrance of Florida, who I think has a chance to be one of, if not the top offensive lineman drafted. Uh, mm. um, I think J.L. Skinner's done an awesome job probably having the yeah. preseason as well, too. He's a guy that's played well in that Boise State defense, who's played really well the last couple of weeks. Um, I think only Dane Brugler kind of sees how how Andre Carter of, of Army can really be a top 50 overall draft pick. I know he's been banged up with injuries and had a concussion this season, but he's really, really talented. I think he's going to go much earlier than people are expecting as well, too. So a bunch of guys, Corey Trice on Purdue. I think he's a really dynamic, physical press corner who could be, who knows, maybe a yeah. first-round pick when it's all said and done. So there's a lot of talented guys that I think people in the media maybe are know they're talented and don't know how to quite quantify them yet. But those kind of guys could be elite, elite players when the draft process is finished. And then just turning your attention to this weekend here, Eric, is there an under-the-radar matchup that you're excited about, whether it's a one-on-one uh, -on -one battle or just anything that's kind of got those NFL draft implications? Uh, I mean, I could say Georgia-Tennessee. Um, <laughs> I think sure. for a lot of reasons, and Hennon Hooker and Cedric Tillman playing more and more. I think it's probably a game that I'm, I'm excited to watch for sure. But um, outside of that, I, I think i got to keep watching this Illinois team. Um, Illinois keeps playing well all season long. Michigan State, they've got Jaden Reed. They've got a good you know, handful of prospects and offensive defensive side of the ball as well. And Illinois, I'm guessing, be favored in that game as well, too. But Illinois is a team that a lot of scouts, we talk about this time of year, scouts doing their second time through a team, right? They, hey, they went there in the summer, sometimes early season. Let me go back through that team. Everybody's got to go back to Illinois because they've got three DBs. They've got an underclassman edge rush. They got a running back. They got a, a tackle. They got a tight end, and and the quarterback's playing well. And I think Illinois is the team that if I'm a scout, keep watching that team a little bit more because they'll have a lot more guys drafted and signed than most years. I think Michigan State's got a good team as well too, but yeah. that'll be a surprising maybe 3:30 game. I'll be watching closely because Illinois is loaded. Michigan State certainly has enough talent as well on offense and defense to to be intriguing from a scout perspective. A perfect tease because uh, I think Ross Tucker and I will be talking about this game uh, a couple segments from now. Eric, thanks so much for joining us here uh, on the Journey of the Draft podcast. He'll be with us next week uh, as well. We're going to go through uh, one of the positions uh, that you value closely. Uh, just what are some of the things you like at that position? We'll get into that in Under the Hood. But Eric, uh, thanks so much once again for joining us here for Mr. Relevant. Thanks, man. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's fully now turn our attention to this weekend in college football. Good look uh, inside some of the matchups there with Eric Galco. As so we welcome in, though, Ben Fennell to talk through uh, what we're going to see here on Saturday in college football. A bunch of really interesting matchups here, Ben. Uh, I'll let you kick things off, though, for our, uh, our matchups to watch here for Saturday. Well, I actually filled in the rundown backwards and was really close to finishing this thing, and we weren't going to talk about LSU-Alabama which yeah. would have been an egregious, you know, lapse of, uh, you know, prospect conversation. So one matchup I'm looking at is Kayshawn Boutte, receiver LSU, maybe not the most uh, exciting or expectation uh, living up to season. A lot of issues with that offense, but he's going to be facing two really good corners and Eli Ricks and Kool-Aid McKistry on the outside, Alabama. Uh, week off last week, but the last thing they were on the field, those two had seven or eight PBUs in that game against Mississippi State where they yep. really shut down that passing attack. That's a NFL prospect versus prospect matchup, and it was great to see uh, Boutte show up in Dane's top 50 this week. He is still a high-level NFL prospect. I expect him to go in the top 50 all day long. Six foot, 200 pounds, explosive, strong-handed, knows how to separate, and he's going to have his hands full this week. So while there may be some dysfunction uh, within both those organizations and those programs this season— uh, some really good players on both sides. Uh, I'm glad you pointed that one out. Rick's obviously a former teammate uh, of Boutte, so they said they know 
each other plenty uh, during their time at LSU. Um, that's a really good matchup. I actually will stay in the SEC. I will stay at wide receiver DB matchups, and uh, it's the one that Eric referred to, that Georgia-Tennessee game. Obviously, all eyes uh, on number one versus number two. And um, let's look at this tandem of Tennessee wide receivers. Cedric Tillman, the senior, now fresh back off the injury. He's a little bit healthier this week than he was a week ago. So what does he look like going up against this Georgia secondary? Jalen Hyatt, obviously, has been uh, stealing all the headlines for the last month plus. But uh, you take a look at both of those guys going up against this Georgia defensive backfield where uh, Kaylee Ringo is the big name. That's the guy that is at the top of mock drafts for the most part at the cornerback spot. Some mock drafts have him as a potential top 10 pick. Everybody will be looking to see how does he fare against this talented pass game for the Volunteers. Uh, Ben, that's a big matchup, obviously, for really on both sides of the coin. No question. Two really well-built players or a a few well-built players there with Tillman, Hyatt, Ringo. That's some big boy football. That's physical corners, well-built receivers, uh, an exciting matchup. So I hope uh, Tennessee has the full gamut of uh, weapons to uh, deploy. All right, so we got the the two big SEC games there with some matchups to watch. Let's now go uh, to our most to gain. Ben, I will come to you first. Well, I might as well stay in that game because there's a lot of prospects, Tennessee, Georgia. And I think the most to gain, this is the headliner of the weekend, Robert Beal Jr., Georgia edge rusher, now at Nolan Smith, out for the season with the pec injury, I believe pec injury. Yes. Um, if I'm remembering yep, correctly. Right. But Robert Beal has been in this program for five years now, 6'4", 250, former four-star, all sorts of ability. Just doesn't have the explosiveness that, you know, that wow trait to kind of hang his hat on. This is a well-built football player. This is a three-down player, defends the run particularly well, really good pass rusher, just nothing that he does in an A quality. But he's a Sunday player all day long. Huge opportunity for him to kind of fill in some of those gaps with Nolan Smith now out. Maybe he could kind of increase the TFL total, maybe get his hands on uh, Hendon Hooker out there, maybe strip the ball. High-profile game. I'm excited for his opportunity. Yeah, I'll be going up against uh, one of the the Tennessee tackles, Darnell Wright, uh, has really helped himself uh, here this year. So uh, certainly a battle to watch. And funny enough, uh, I will also look in the trenches here for my most to gain. Um, When you look at uh, Peter Skaronsky going, up against this Ohio State front uh, and really honestly it's a good it's a good uh, battle on both sides of it because for Zach if you're Zach Harrison uh, the senior defensive end for the Buckeyes this is going to be a game that everybody's going to have penciled in is like all right like he's going to go up against potentially the best tackle uh, in the country certainly in the Big Ten uh, in Skaronsky so uh, I think seeing Zach Harrison in this game and it's also twofold again looking at Skaronsky against this front both guys uh, have a lot to win here and that's the the big big noon kickoff there 12 o'clock on ABC. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some uh, good players on the other side as well. Northwestern has an interesting three-tech. can't remember his name right now. It's the... Uh, oh, right. Yeah, right. Hold on, hold on. I got the name I just for you. I was just doing him yesterday. 6'2", 290. Played off the edge last year, more at three-tech this year. Really productive interior player, which the Big Ten quietly has a bunch of three-techs I really like, whether it's Branson Dean at Purdue, uh, the Newton kid at Illinois, and the Northwestern kid. He has a kind of a tricky name, so I'm stalling here for you to do the pronunciation. Aditamiwa Adibare. Bingo, yeah. <laughs> but really interesting player, so may see a little bit of him against Paris Johnson, more likely against the interior guys, but Northwestern, maybe not the highest level of defensive prospects, but they have a, a one or two every now and then, and he's a good player. Uh, Adibare, uh, 6'2", 275, he yep. definitely has like that hybrid body, and some of the uh, reported test numbers on him, for an edge rusher, would be freaky, but for a three technique, like, through the moon. No so. Question, yeah. uh, really, really interesting. Been prospect. playing a little bit more inside this year, and uh, he looks the part. Yeah, uh, no, no question. That's a, a good call out uh, from your end. Um, let's go now to our prospects after dark. Who's playing a game eight o'clock start time or later that we want to make sure we profile here? Uh, I am going to stay on the East Coast here for this one, and I'm going to go with Wake Forest wide receiver A.T. Perry. If you had not had a chance to watch this Wake Forest offense, and uh, you know quarterback Sam Hartman, and certainly A.T. Perry, now's a good opportunity. They go up against NC State. Uh, I think there will be opportunities there to be able to move. The ball against that Wolfpack secondary. Perry is like a Diet Pepsi version of uh, of Drake London, uh, and I think you've got that uh, that big body pass catcher who can go up and win at the catch point. If you liked Drake London, you will like At Perry uh, doing it on the East Coast as opposed to London tearing up the Pac-12 a year ago. Uh, that's a, a player you want to make sure you try and keep an eye on here as we get closer to the end of the regular season. And NC State has some tough defensive players out there. The interesting trio at linebackers, some tough safeties on the back end. I love the corner Tyler Baker Williams who 
was six foot, 205, really tough kid out there, was a little banged up through the middle of the season. He looks healthy again, playing a little bit more in the slot as well. But A.T. Perry can play that big slot role as well. So I hope to see that kind of uh, matchup on the inside. All right, well, who do you have uh, for yours here, your prospect after dark? Again, it's always some California battle, 1030 Eastern, ESPN, Cal, USC. Cal is a linebacker, Jackson Sermon, tackling machine, run stuffer, Washington transfer, don't forget. But 6'2", 240. His dad is actually the defensive coordinator at Cal. Do you remember? Do you remember his dad when he played in the in league? No, not at no. No, it was P- Peter Sermon. Uh, was a, a linebacker with the Titans. He played for Jim Schwartz when Schwartz was the defense coordinator with the Titans before he went to Detroit. And Peter Sermon was a, a good NFL linebacker. But Sermon's been with Cal for a number of years now. But his son went to Washington initially. But now they've reunited. Over 400 special teams snaps in his career. So big opportunity for him against that uh, tough USC offense and uh, Travis Dye and company. Yeah, that's a good call. Uh, Jackson Sermon. I don't think we've mentioned him yet uh, here on. He's going to play on Sundays. Yeah, you know he's going to be that late day three priority free agent that I think is going to stick on special teams and fill out a linebacker room. This kid's got tools. Yeah, something tells me he'll end up in Tennessee when it's all said and done. Uh, let's go with our call our shot. And last week, Ben, um, you predicted a 200 yard performance from UCLA running back uh, Zach Charbonnet against the Stanford Cardinal. He came up short for you. 198 yards, two yards away from your Killed 200. Me. Killed me. I'd said, I was like, 200 yards, man. Like, all right. Dude, he went for 198. Just need three to fall touchdowns. forward on one of those runs that he got bent uh, backwards. Just yeah. a, a great, great prediction um, from your end. So uh, what are you going to do to follow that one up? Well, the notion here was, I raised this question on Twitter earlier in the week and said, who the heck is wide receiver one right now in the draft? Yep. And kind of fielded it out there and was really surprised at the number of people that said Quentin Johnson yeah. at TCU. And it's a very fun conversation because no one's really grabbed that receiver one spot by the horns. But TCU having a great Cinderella season. I actually think Johnson gets shut down this weekend. Ooh. And Texas Tech has a really interesting corner, Rashad Williams at 6'3", 195. I feel like they always have a, a UCLA big, transfer. Long corner, yeah. Yep, the, the Fields kid came out uh, yep. last year and Zach McPherson the year before that. But this kid's only allowing 37.5% completions, one of the stingiest corners in the country out there. He's long, he's broad, he's tough. I think Johnson's going to have his hands full. I think Texas Tech gets the upset. And wow. shuts down Johnson and kind of quells his draft stock just a little bit. What's the what's the ceiling on yardage for Johnson in this game going up against that secondary? Let's say he'll go three for 40 yards, no touchdowns, and a frustrating day for the TCU offense. Wow. All right. Which it. he has gone quiet over the last month or so. He's, you know, been more of like the five for 75 and a touchdown. Okay. Productive, but not wowing. I just think Texas Tech sneaks up on him this week. All right. So uh, I was in the Big 12, dabbling into the wide receiver pool a week ago. Xavier Hutchinson, the Iowa State receiver. I predicted 125 yards against the Sooner secondary. Uh, he came up pretty short for all on that one. Ten catches for only 72 yards. He just hasn't been able to create uh, those big plays, but he has been a target hog uh, in that Cyclone offense. So Xavier Hutchinson comes a little bit short for me, but this week I'm going to go to the Big Ten. I'm going to look at Michigan and Rutgers, and I'm going to look at that Wolverines defensive ta- uh, defensive tackle, Mozzie Smith. The sack production has not been great. I do think he gets into the sack column here today. I think he has a season high in pressures. We'll say four pressures and a sack against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. They've had some troubles in protection, Ben. Uh, I like, I like uh, Mozzie Smith here uh, to create some havoc in that backfield. Yeah, that should be a fun one. Mozzie's been a little bit quiet, but yes. when you put on the film, I feel like he's been that run stuffer doing his job, very disciplined in his gaps. He's going to play on Sundays all day long. Just where some people have him as a first round player, some more of a day two. I think he's a guy that can still kind of work his way into that first round conversation. All right, well, let's get to our, our last category before we get to the uh, Dane Brugler big board. Let's go to our comparison chat. We're going to use an NFL comp just to profile a player uh, that is taking the field this weekend. And I will uh, let you kick this one off. Well, Xavier Hutchinson at Iowa State has really impressed me this year. He's about 6'3, 215. He's going to run in the four fives with a good, really good explosive step, good route runner. He's a strong player, well built. It's reminding me a lot of that number two receiver out in Buffalo, Gabe Davis, who's turned into a heck of an NFL receiver on a lot of fantasy teams out there, actually drawing some coverage now, giving Stefan Diggs some more opportunities, as crazy as that is. But Xavier Hutchinson's really blown me away with his speed. I think he's going to be a low 4-5 guy with good size. He's a tough kid. Expect him right in that kind of late day two conversation. I think he's going to be a nice treat for someone's receiver room um, and can probably contribute on special teams as well. Can I tell you why I love this? He's the first name I have written down uh, on That's the perfect. Xavier there Hutchinson player yeah. comp was uh, was Gabe <laughs> Davis. So uh, 6'2", 208, the body type is there. He's got that ability to work vertical, good play strength, good down the field, can adjust outside his frame. Uh, just a lot of similarities to Gabe Davis when he was at UCF. When I initially watched him, I wrote down Trayvon Grimes. Right. 
who I thought was a little bit more of a taller, stiff hip kid out of Florida. Yep. You know, good length, good size, physicality. Hutchinson's really blown me away with his kind of explosiveness in getting in and out of breaks, his route running. They've thrown him some screens where he's took off and run for a couple yards that I didn't think he had that extra gear. So Trayvon Grimes may not have been as um, fair of a comp. So Gabe Davis, I think, uh, is looking a little bit more appropriate. And again, just struggling to create those explosives in that offense this year. They lost a lot uh, in terms of turnover. Obviously, they lost the the quarterback and Purdy. But uh, the, I mean, his average depth of target coming into the year was nine and a half, and I think it's lo- it's even lower in this offense. Mm-hmm. He's just been struggling to create things uh, down the field. They're using him much closer to the line of scrimmage. So those numbers are not going to quite reflect what you think he could be with when you talk about a Gabe Davis, but I think the skill set is there to be that kind of player. Hey, you lose a Brees Hall out yeah. of that offense. Right. Suddenly those the tight, safe, all the tight ends. Suddenly, right. yeah, all those tight ends. Suddenly the safeties can, you know, sink back just a little bit, protect those deep balls. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to stay at the receiver position. So we've had a lot of synergy uh, with our picks here this week. I, I want to go through Tank Dell, a guy that uh, Eric Galco referred to a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, Dell is a really interesting player because he's he's explosive. He's got plenty of juice. Uh, he can affect a, a, an offense in a number of different ways. 5'10", 159. So this is a small, undersized pass catcher. I think you're probably keeping him in the slot, uh, more of like a, a gadgety, like offensive weapon type. Um, but he's he's definitely got juice, instant speed, impressive acceleration and burst, uh, proven ability to track over the shoulder. He can make plays with the ball in his hands. He's got he struggles against press coverage. He's an undisciplined route runner. He was a non-factor as a blocker. He's just a really really slight frame. Play strength is going to be a major concern. Uh, I think he can do things in the return game for you, obviously. But at the end of the day. I kind of wrote down a lot of the same things I said about Isaiah McKenzie when McKenzie was coming out of Georgia a few years ago. Now, Dell uh, coming from a little bit of a lower level of competition, a little bit of a smaller sample size because Dell started his career at the junior college level before tra- transitioning uh, to the AAC. But I think when you look at, t- at Tank Dell, Similar kind of boat here to McKenzie. McKenzie was a late day three pick. Took a couple, uh, took a few years to really kind of get adjusted to the NFL game, but is now settled in uh, as the, ironically enough, behind Gabe Davis uh, in that pecking order for the Buffalo Bills. And so I, I kind of see uh, very similar, a lot of similarities there between those two players. Yeah, I wrote down Calvin Austin, who came out last year out of Memphis, track star, surprisingly competitive and uh, strong despite his size. Then I wrote down Tutu Atwell who came out of Louisville yeah. two years ago, I think is a little bit more appropriate. I don't think he's going to have the elite track speed if he's sub that Calvin Austin yeah, had, right. that's, yep. um, but more of that same type of over-the-top small guy. Yep, that's a good call. Um, all right, so let's wrap it up with our big board breakdown. We're not going to do a mock draft this week. Instead, we're going to look over our, our buddy Dane Brewer over at The Athletic just dropped his latest top 50 list. So, uh, Ben, I'm thinking you and I can kind of go through and just provide some takeaways and just kind of looking at the top 10. We'll just go through the top 10 really, really fast. Uh, Alabama pass rusher Will Anderson, number one. Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter, now healthy, number two. Bryce Young, quarterback from Alabama at number three. Miles Murphy, pass rusher from Clemson, number four on this list. Number five, big shocker, Olu Fashinu, the Penn State left tackle, redshirt sophomore. He is number five here for Dane Brugler. Number six, the Georgia cornerback, Kaylee Ringo. We talked about him earlier in the segment. Peter Skaronsky, the Northwestern left tackle at number seven. Talked about him earlier in this segment. Bijan Robinson, the Texas running back at number eight. Clemson defensive lineman, Brian Brezzi at number nine. And then C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback, rounding out the top ten. So, Ben, biggest takeaway for you uh, from that grouping, what, what kind of catches your eye right off the bat? Well, just breaking down the top ten, it would have to be seeing B. John Robinson, uh, number eight overall, just to see a running back in that top ten. It's going to be interesting to see where his positional value is yep. versus where he's drafted. Yep, exactly. So I think the big boards versus mock drafts is – you know, Bijan Robinson conversation all day long. Where do you peg the positional value of the top running back? And if it's someone that you feel is an elite prospect, where is someone going to pull the trigger? So is this going to be the Saquon Barkley's of the world where he's a top 10 player? Or will the number one running back go potentially in round two? Yep. Like we saw last year with like a Brees Hall type of player. How so. early is too early for Bijan Robinson? Exactly. Yep. I think that's a conversation. But being the eighth overall player in this class is looking more than appropriate. I was listening to a podcast. It was a, a Dynasty fantasy football podcast earlier this week. Shout out to uh, Jordan McNamara, Chad Parsons over with Football Guys. They do a great job. And they made a really good, I thought it was an astute observation about positional value. Uh, and it was it was regard to 
fantasy football, the dynasty football, but I think it was also uh, in regards to the NFL draft. And it was looking at the trade deadline and two big trades that happened on Tuesday. Uh, you had Chase Claypool, the wide receiver for the Steelers, getting dealt to the Chicago Bears. And then you also had uh, TJ Hawkinson getting traded from the Detroit Lions to the Minnesota Vikings. And they just kind of posed the question, TJ Hawkinson is a top 10, top, uh, top 10, I think it's safe to say, top 10 tight end uh, in the NFL. Chase Claypool is, I don't know, is he a top 30? Is he top 40? Is he a top 50 wide receiver? Claypool went for better compensation than TJ Hawkinson. When you turn a look at the overall at the highest pick uh, with that group, I think it's fascinating. And it kind of speaks to, uh, look, if you are going to take a swing at a, a non-priority position at the top half of the draft, you better not miss. And the margin for error is very, very wide there. The, the Detroit Lions selected uh, TJ Hawkinson at number nine overall. And look, for all intents and purposes, they hit the pick. He's a good player. He's a good starter. He's a top 10 player at the position. But since he's not an elite player and you didn't want to give him elite money, you're trading him for 10 cents on the dollar for what you spent on him. So I think it was a really, really interesting discussion that I think is worth having when you're talking about Bijan Robinson. If he is going to be a top 10 player, a top 15 player on your board, how does that relate to when you would draft him in a draft? Yeah. And I, you know, one step further, these are the deep, deep conversations going on with the money people behind the scenes of the NFL. And that the first round, and essentially the entire NFL draft is slotted for compensation, which makes it very clean and there's no more negotiations and holdouts for different signing bonuses and contracts. But with that, not every position has the same value. So there's some cap experts and salary cap enthusiasts that want certain positions to then be slotted. So if you take a tight end in the top 10, he gets warranted top tight end money, yep. not number seven overall money. And that's where the Hawkinsons of the world really throw off their value and what the Lions are paying a top 10 tight end. Really, by selecting him in the top 10, you're now paying him like he's an elite tight end around the league. So it's, there's a lot of interesting philosophies based on positional value in the tight end position is one of the you know, the forefront kind yeah. of uh, experiments of it. And I think, too, it goes the other way, right? Because my big takeaway was, all right, like Olufashinu, number five on this list. Uh, and he's a redshirt sophomore, but what is it? He plays a priority position that is very, very difficult to find. He is uh, he has got the makings of a prototype, like pass-protecting left tackle. The guy has started like eight games in his career. He started one coming into the season. I think he had 84 snaps played coming into 2022. But we're talking about him as a potential top five talent because of what he can be and because of the position he plays. And so to me, that was my big takeaway, saying like, oh, like, all right, Fashnu at number five uh, on Dane's list. I think that speaks a lot because obviously not just about Dane's evaluation, but also based off what he's hearing around the league. And th that actually leads me into my next question here, Ben, was that, you know, we came into this season wondering like, oh, like, you know, offensive tackle might be a little bit down uh, here in this draft. Oh, you might not have uh, that blue chip guy or, the, you know, those multiple guys going in the top 10, top 20. Then I look at this list from Dane. You have three tackles at the top 11. You've got four in the top 20. That's the most of any position. Uh, offensive tackle, maybe not as bad as we thought going into the summer. You know, six tackles in the top 50, 11 edge rushers. Yeah. It's still protecting the quarterback and get quarterbacks. Yep. I think that's the name of the game, and these guys are maybe thrusted up a smidge. But that's six in his top 50 without a Matthew Bergeron. Without Bergeron. Without, without Jalen yep, Duncan. No, no doubt. You know, without right. Darnell Wright at Tennessee. Yeah. Without Warren McClendon, three-year starter at Georgia. At Pitt, without yep. Carter Warren the Pitt at Pitt. Yeah, Carter Warren. You yep. know, these are all guys that are comfortably in the top 100. I mean, we just broke down, was it Joe Marino's mock last yeah. week with a, you know, Matthew Bergeron in the first yep. round. I believe that was. I know also Garrett that's Williams. I'm blanking on some Syracuse guys. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of good tackles. So I could go easily 10, 12 tackles in the top 100 and maybe adding another five, six edge into that conversation. So I see it being a interesting to strong tackle group right yeah. now. And I think so there's just some new names to maybe highlight, like the Penn State kid, and it's fluid, and that's exciting. And that's what happens when you get, like, all right, like you, if you plop in an Olufashi, you know, all right, you have a top five player. Well, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, Skaronsky's not the tackle one. It almost, like, changes the dynamic in the way how you view that group. Maybe you sh it shouldn't be that way, but I feel like that's reality and just how you view the position as a whole. And you mentioned also uh, 11 pass rushers, 11 edge rushers uh, in this top 50, five of them in the top 25, certainly number one, uh, Will Anderson. You have Miles Murphy there at number four. So pass rusher, another strong year uh, for those guys coming off the, the, the edge there, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. And I just don't think anything's going to change there. I think you're still going to want those uh, – edge of the pocket protectors and you want guys to get after the quarterback that's the name of the game and if you don't have one you better go get one and I think there are going to be a lot of really highly coveted players uh on this group from Dane so by far edge rusher the most uh the the, uh, the most represented
underrepresented group, the least represented real quickly. Uh, interior offensive line, only one player uh, coming in at number 27. Off-ball linebacker, only two in the top 50, 14 and 49. Only two safeties, 19 and 29. So uh, a couple positions were maybe not represented from that blue-chip talent standpoint uh, there from Dane's top 50. Uh, let's get into some of these individual players. Offensive player that you were happy to see as high as they were. Who, who would that be for you? Well, I think we all expected this tight end class to be headlined by Michael Mayer. Yep. Love the Darnell Washington you know, praise as Dane's been high on him, and he's an absolute horse out there at 6'7", 270, can catch the ball. Like, that's an appropriate spot for a Darnell Washington, in my opinion. But the one I want to talk about is Tucker Craft as tight end three, coming out of the FCS at South Dakota State, who's really the Dallas Goddard 2.0. Mm. Maybe not the upside of a Michael Mayer in the pass game, maybe not the imposing size of a Darnell Washington in the run game, Yep. but a heck of a combination of the two. So I think Tucker Craft's going to be a coveted day two pick, right in that kind of Trey McBride, Dallas Goddard country of the draft. Um, I expect him to be tight end three after those first two. I'm just happy that he hasn't been forgotten, you know, because those FCS guys sitting here in November typically take a back seat to some of those power five guys that are on your uh, TVs every Saturday. But Tucker Craft is a really good player. I was interested to see how high he would be because I know Dane was really, really high on him coming yep. into the season. And then the injury, obviously, in week one uh, kind of derailed that start to the year. But uh, he's still very high on this board overall. And a little love to Cody Mock there coming in. At coming number, to 50. Number love 50 it. there, yep. North Dakota State. And just pull up his bio, look at his picture, and just love the offensive lineman, uh, you know, just look of, of a guy missing his front teeth with the long hair and a big smile, and that guy loves finishing defenders. Really fun player if you get a hold of that North Dakota State tape. He's either an FCSO lineman or he's like a backup defender for like some hockey team in, no the, question. in the middle yeah. of the Midwest. So you, <laughs> you love seeing that uh, that picture. And just the, the highlight, he's a, he's a fun player. I don't, I'm glad to see. Hunter Lepke, uh, there's high. a bunch of guys on that offense to watch. No question. Yeah. Um, for me, it was uh, Jameer Gibbs at 21. Uh, it was just good to be able to see him that high. I mean, he, he deserves it with what he's been over the last few weeks for Alabama. A lot of eyes on him transferring in from Georgia Tech. That dynamic playmaking ability has really trans transferred over from the ACC to the SEC. He's been one of the best players in that conference. He's been the workhorse of that offense. I think when you look at Jameer Gibbs, um, he's going to go pretty high uh, in this draft. I don't know if he's going to go Bijan high. He might go higher uh, at the end of the day, but uh, Jameer, he's a fun, fun player. And to quickly round out the running back conversation, Devin Ashane, yeah. track star from Texas A&M yep. on there. And then Zach Evans, yeah, who Dane seems to like out. a lot. I don't think has really lived up to the hype the past few weeks. Uh, had a really strong start to the season. We'll be interested to see kind of where he falls in uh, his stock and the running back ranking, but there should be some other guys kind of knocking on the door there. Uh, maybe Tank Bigsby or a Deuce Vaughn yep. or even a Sean Tucker, Zach Charbonnet. Yeah, your boy. Yep. All uh, kind of top 100 players in my opinion. All right, let's go defense. Uh, who's the guy you were happy to see as high as they were? Defense, defense, defense. I love the power rushers, Fran, off mm. the edge. Not those sexy speed rushers that just want to win the high side. Jared Verse coming in at 34, power rusher all day long. And how about Lucas Van Ness? Yeah. Out of Iowa, who really reminds me of a Justin Smith type of player. Wow. He's a hulking defensive end. Straight power rusher. He tore through Peter Skaronsky last year. I haven't watched Van Ness at and all. I was literally just about to say in my notes here, full disclosure, I haven't watched his 2022 tape. Yep. I do not know how his season is going. I haven't heard a whole lot about him. So is he? So he's. You say like a Justin Smith. So he's like a hybrid, so like last inside year, outside. Last year he was just a rotational sub player. Okay. Played some three tech. Played some stand up. They were just kind of playing him, and I think he played maybe two hundred or three hundred snaps. Okay. So this year I thought he was going to play true edge, but he is strong. He's like six four, six five, two eighty. He looks like just a hulking back wide broad shoulder kid that loves power rushes i just haven't seen or heard a lot about him i don't catch him on my uh screen on saturdays a whole lot I haven't seen him on my timeline haven't watched the tape yet but 25th overall and it's on his big board that's pretty high praise we know his love for jared verse uh the albany transfer now at florida state i think he's made some really uh impactful plays and had some really strong games this season for florida state and the acc but lucas van ness you don't hear a whole lot about these Iowa prospects in uh, November. Jack Campbell, another good player yep. out there. Uh, a couple other guys on the back end, but Lucas Van Ness, don't forget about him. Yeah, Riley Moss yep. uh, was going to the senior ball before he decided to go Justin back to the year. Justin Jacobs, interesting outside Jacobs, linebacker. Yeah, we studied him. Yep. Campbell, obviously, a linebacker as well. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good group, uh, obviously, on that Iowa defense. Um, 
For me, I would go Christian Gonzalez, the corner from uh, from Oregon. This is a guy that's extremely talented. And to me, like when you study him, I think that there are uh, areas of his game that need to be cleaned up, not perfect against the run. Uh, I think you see more flashes than like consistent down-to-down play there. But when you look at his coverage skill and the natural talent, the ability to play in every coverage scheme, uh, he can play man as well as any corner that I studied over the course of the summer. But again, just that playing downhill has just got to improve a little bit. So I think depending on what kind of scheme you run, uh, you might really, really like Christian Gonzalez in the transition, or you might really question it. But I do think that when you have a guy with that kind of coverage potential, uh, that he warrants uh, that kind of a high ranking. So I was interested to see how high we would be for Dane, and he ended up in the top 15. So Christian Gonzalez would be the name uh, for me to kind of earmark there. Uh, next question. Who do you think you want to see more from, personally, you personally, before you rank him as high as Dane had him? Well, we kind of went through the gamut on this. And, you know, Fashionu from Penn State, for all the reasons you listed earlier, obviously his first year as a starter, haven't seen a full body of work yet. He's about to get really into the thick of the season. Just had his Ohio State game. He's going to have tougher and tougher opponents here. Hope to see him against a tough bowl opponent. He's already played, was it Auburn earlier in the season, Fran? Yes. So we saw him against some SEC competition. He's stacking those victories, but I want to see him against better and better and yep. better competition. So just off the cuff, he's the easy choice here for you. Just want to see a little bit more. Yeah, like even like just seeing like a couple games at a time, you're like, man, like, all right, like that's such a great taste. It's such a great appetizer. Like I want to see more of this. Kid. It's a Richard so, sophomore. Yeah. Don't forget. Yeah, so like he's a guy that we may be talking about for another three years. Right. Could be two years. Could be coming out Could next be two spring. Months. Yeah, right. Yeah. So right. we have no idea. And, you know, a guy like that, you have no idea what they're thinking either. Yep. You know, a guy like Muhammad Ibrahim. Went back to school because he wanted to finish his degree. Yep. You know, the NFL saw all for they a, need as to a see sixth year, a like sixth year running back. So Minnesota, their right. personal motivations are all different. So you don't want to ever peg them or figure out or try to guess for them on uh, what they want to do with themselves. Mm. So I uh, applaud him no matter what decision it is. All right. Well, how about a guy that uh, Fashnu saw just last week at Ohio State? And that was uh, Zach Harrison, who came in at number 30 there uh, for Dane. Harrison is the opposite. We've seen plenty of Zach Harrison collectively, right? He's been a three and a half year starter for the Buckeyes. Uh, we, were, we were just talking about him this week. Uh, Dane and I and saying like yeah like the the snap the snap counts have gone down for Harrison a little bit but the efficiency and the productivity has gone up and maybe that's maybe that's what he needs right is that uh, play a little bit le- fewer snaps but then that let that turn into more production um, but I think when you look at Harrison. I get it because of the, the height, weight, speed profile. There's not a lot of guys that are that big that move that well. Um, I, to me, like the, from what I've seen, especially from early in his career, and that's why I did the first time I watched him was as a sophomore going into his junior year uh, and definitely did not see a guy that was ready for the NFL, and he wasn't. He went, he went back. That's why he's still in school. Um, but I, to me, like just seeing a little bit more from him uh, I think would be big. So Zach Harrison, Ohio State would be my pick. There's a weird conversation buzz with the whole Ohio State defense, in my opinion. Right. I think C.J. Stroud is played so well we rotate between this Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison in the returner conversation Travion Henderson uh, Paris Johnson's really interesting other conversations and storylines on the offensive line new tight ends in that room who's talking about the defense yep you know Tommy Eichenberg's played the most snaps for them he might be one of the best linebackers in the country sure barely mentioned you know Ronnie Hickman's a new kind of safety hybrid nickel there we're not talking about him a whole lot you know, Zach Harrison's of the world. There's a lot of new players and new names on that defensive line. Teron Vincent's a big defensive tackle. I just feel like the defense in general is taking a little bit of a backseat mm. to the buzz, the storylines, the narratives of the offensive side. Certainly warranted. But Ohio State, this is Ohio State, guys. They have NFL prospects up and down that defense. Watch the tape, and you'll see it. Yeah, it's uh, it's always littered with prospects. No matter, just kind of uh, figure out who's who for this year, especially because uh, like they're always young We got to talk about yeah. Steel Chambers. Yep. This is one of the best linebackers in the country. No, it's a good, it's a good, good point. Um, let's go to now a player you thought would be a little bit higher. Because uh, for me, I'll tell you what, uh, I always look where is Antonio Johnson, the Texas A&M safety, uh, whether it's a mock draft or a big board. 29 uh, here for Dane. And, and look, we get into the prospect, into the uh, the position priority standpoint, and we get into that discussion. Um, I do think Antonio Johnson, at the end of the day, he's got that like Derwin James kind of skill set, and that he can impact the game in so many different ways. I'll be interested to see where he ends up. But 29 here uh, on this list, I thought that was a little lower than I thought he would be. You know, seeing all those edge rushers, someone was going to get kind of slighted, in my opinion, to see Isaiah Foskey, Fran, fl- fall all the way down there to 47. Yep. I just thought he was kind of more of the first round top 30 conversation lock he's a good player good run defender versatile but he's had a pretty strong senior campaign here seen in a lot of mock drafts 
barely cracking that top 50 there. So it's a deep edge rushing group. I think it's boggle time where you can shake them up and they can come in all sorts of rankings and different uh, uh, different stackings. I think Foskey could go anywhere from being edge 2, edge 3 to edge 10, 10, 11, you mm. know, kind of thing. So I think that's what we're seeing here with Dane's uh, big board. Yeah, and that's one of the things you always talk about when you're looking at these kind of exercises is, you know, how does it compare to other top 50s or how other big boards or other mock drafts that you've seen recently just to kind of get a temperature check uh, on these players. When you look at this, is there a guy where you saw on the list and you're like, man, like, I need to watch more of this kid. I just like I, I have not done enough. Like for me, like Lucas Van Ness uh, would be or would be one that comes out to me. Like all right, I, I have to make sure I watch this kid fast. Uh, Broderick Jones for me, the Georgia tackle. I, I'd like to get a little bit more eyes uh, on Broderick Jones. Get through some more of his tape. Uh, Broderick Jones, the Georgia tackle. He came in at number twenty here uh, for Dane. Another kid, I believe he's a redshirt sophomore yeah, as I believe well. So, so first young, year starter. Yep. Yes, exactly. He did play a little bit of start last bit, year, yes. but more of a one and a half year starter. But yep. mine would be Osiris Torrens. Yeah, the bright uh, uh, guard for Florida Gators transferred over from Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken. Nice, powerful interior guy. I didn't think he really had a, the good foot quickness or the redirect or you know the versatility to play in his own scheme or play out in space. So I was a little bit underwhelmed with his Louisiana tape. Haven't caught up fully on his 2022 season in the SEC. I've heard he's played well, but a guy that I didn't expect to see in the top 50 conversation. A little bit of a down interior class, so could be getting bumped up there, but another guy I'm excited to dive into his tape and uh, be proven wrong. Yeah, it's, I think when you um, you know when you start getting into. Uh you know, Osiris, Osiris Torrance, it's almost like, all right, like you kind of know what you're getting. This guy has been a four-year starter. I mean, he, he was uh, such a good player at Louisiana, and he's carried that over uh, to Florida Gators. You know, if, if you're going to be a power player and, and a, not a fleet of foot guy, not a zone scheme guy, not a guy that gets out to the perimeter, you know, I need you to be like the Roger Saffolds of the world. Yep. I need you to be like a Quentin Spain. I just think he's going to be a little bit sloppy with his, uh, his weight, his body movements. I don't think he's going to be an exceptional tester. He is strong. He is tough to get around. He's going to move you, but I just think it's a little limited uh, to be a top 50 player. That's a good point. Uh, all right. One thing I know you love doing, mock drafts, big boards, regardless. Who's not there? Yeah, and kind of taking note, like who's a guy that that this person does not view as uh, being worthy of this top fifty? Uh, for me, it was Jervon Dexter, the Florida defensive tackle. He's a guy that we talked about, uh, just like the the upside being so so high. I compared him to Muhammad Wilkerson, a player that I was with uh, Ooh, at like Temple that. University. Um, I, I think that Dexter. I, mean, I know the play has not been as consistent. I'm excited to kind of dig into that because I have not watched much of the Gator defense with him this year. But uh, I know studying him over the summer, I saw a really really high upside player. So him not in the top fifty caught my eye is there a guy that stands out for you that way well I just thought it was crazy to see a top 50 with no Alabama offensive linemen no Alabama corners mm. no Alabama receivers yeah just right. a little bit of lacking some areas sure, you come to dry. expect obviously you see the Bryce Youngs up there Jameer Gibbs some exciting players yep. like Toyo Toyo will be right on the outside of that some other nice players Brian Branch is in there of course um, but the cornerback position in particular is interesting he has six corners in his top 50 but I think Garrett Williams must be 51. Devin Williams has to be 53. Tyreek Stevenson, who is Dane's number one senior corner coming into the season, he's got to be number 60 on that list. So I think even though Dane put out a top 50, there might be a couple corners right on the cusp of that, right. uh, ready to kind of break into there. So when it's all said and done, we might have eight, nine, ten corners in the top 50. This yep. is an interesting cornerback class. I think six, six corners in the top 50 of Danes is appropriate. Yep. And there might be even more. I need Three to, in the top 15. I need yeah. to do more work on Emmanuel Forbes and some other guys on the back end there. I like that he worked in Clark Phillips. A little undersized for my liking, but guys like Devin Witherspoon, player, yeah. Garrett Williams. Yep. I mean, Eli Ricks, we've seen mocking yep. top tens here and there. And all, you know, in all reality, Kool-Aid McKistry might be a better player. Don't believe run. he's yeah. eligible. Yeah, but, not, yeah, not um, I think we'll see some Alabama. Alabama players work themselves into that conversation when it's all said and done. DeMarco Hellums, kind of yeah. a safety nickel hybrid as well. Really good player. Be stunned if he was outside of people's top 100. So a lot of good players on the Alabama side, but in particular, the cornerback group is deep and all over the place right now. That's And as we talked about that in the summer. That was one of our big takeaways after going conference by conference was cornerback wide, wide open in terms of who's the top guy, who's the blue chip guy. But there were a lot of options since that got you excited about the group as a whole. And if it wasn't for Ringo, I would have had the same tweet at the top of the week. Who the heck is corner one? Right, yep. I think everyone's kind of slotting Ringo in there. But just like the receiver group, there's a lot of interesting guys that can play on Sundays. 
where your big board is, where they're being mocked, where you stack them, yeah. all over the place right yep. now. Yep, no, that's a, great, that's a good point. So uh, great stuff there from Dane Brugler, uh, as always, as we've come to expect. So always fun to kind of dig into those top 50s. I'm sure we'll have uh, get some thoughts there from Dane. Uh, maybe I'll ask him about the process uh, here when we get him next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. That said, uh, let's now dig into some of our picks for this weekend. It's time to welcome in Ross Tucker for Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, well, back again for pick six, my friend Ross Tucker, who extended his lead just by one point, Ross, but a nice little, uh, nice week for you and I split uh, a couple of these games. Um, really the big thing, over under uh, three and a half C.J. Stroud touchdowns against Penn State, that was well under, so you you got a point there. Uh, you were right on the high low. Tennessee ranked number two after this past weekend, that uh, that big win over Kentucky, zero touchdowns for, uh, for Levis, for Will Levis in that game, and so you win the high low there. I picked up a point on the Stetson Bennett performance against Florida, but um, dude, our upsets were really close again, man. We, we, I will say this: all of our upsets, it's been very rare that all of our upsets have gotten like blown out. We come very, very close. You and I have both hit on one straight up, um, but Toledo needed a big comeback uh, to get a win over Eastern Michigan. So uh, the Eagles very, very close to paying that off for you. And then uh, Colorado lost by uh, just a score to Arizona State. And so um, the, we've been very, very close on a lot of these upsets, but uh, unfortunately neither of them came through for us this week. Yeah, I mean, if people are following us and and – like our upset specials, they're they're doing a great job for, for them, other than they don't always totally win outright, but they're doing a great job being close games, at least. Well, let's see if we can continue that trend uh, here this week. Well, we will start with our two-point pick'ems, and this one going down to the SEC. A lot, a lot of really fun matchups. I said this at the top of the show. A lot of fun matchups this week, even though it's not a lot of, a lot of uh, ranked versus ranked. Still a lot of like name-brand matchups here. Florida, Texas A&M, who do you like here in this one? I'll go Texas A&M. I don't really feel great about it. These teams are about the same to me. Yeah. It's at Texas A&M. College Station's not easy to play, not easy place to play. You know, Florida's coming off that big game against Georgia. I think I just think the spot is better for an A&M. I know they're not playing great, but I'll take Texas A&M. Yeah, the vibes aren't great with either team right now, um, but I think – even though they're on the road, I think I like the Gators here. Uh, and I, I nearly went that way because of what, exactly what you said. They're, they are tough to play at Kyle Field. Um, but I think Florida, away from the swamp, comes away uh, with this win. Anthony Richardson, um, you know, going. there's a chance that he's the best player on the field every time he steps between the lines. And that certainly could be the case when he lines up against this A&M team. So uh, I will go with Florida here over the Aggies. Let's now go uh, to Clemson, Notre Dame. These two teams have played each other tight uh, over these last few years. Some really good games in the last four or five years or so uh so i'll let you go first who do you like here this one um is an interesting one ross it is um i I like clemson um just more speed um i don't think that Dabo sweeney will hesitate to go with kade klubnik if he needs to if dj struggles early in the game clemson's d-line is beastly and i think you know Notre Dame coming off that game against Syracuse, it's not easy to bounce right back and play a team like Clemson. So I like the Tigers in this one. Yeah, well, you and I both picked against Notre Dame a week ago. Both of us liked Syracuse in that one, and Notre Dame won handily. You and I had major questions about the Irish offense. They came out and put up 40 points uh, against Syracuse. Now, uh, Clemson's defense... A little bit of a different animal, right, when you talk about that defensive front, like you mentioned. I will go with the Tigers here. I was interested to see if we, if you would uh, jump on that Notre Dame uh, bandwagon here after that performance against the Orange. But uh, I will go with the uh, the Clemson Tigers here as well. But it, it's still, man, it wouldn't shock me if, if Notre Dame made a, a tighter game of this than people think, just because uh, Clemson has been in a lot of tighter ball games than you would expect. Uh, and Notre Dame, let's see if, uh, if they're able to keep the ball rolling there offensively. Let's now go to... Alabama, LSU, this is a game that is always circled on the college football calendar, one of the better games of the year on a yearly basis. But let's go with the over-under, and the number this week is going to be 121.5, 121.5. And that's going to be for total scrimmage yards, rushing and receiving from Alabama running back Jameer Gibbs against this LSU defense. Ross, over-under, 121.5. I'm going to go over. Um You know, I don't know. You're good at setting these numbers like you do. That's a pretty good number, I'd say. But I'm going to say that 
it's going to be a higher scoring game, kind of like the Tennessee game was. I think it'll be back and forth. Gibbs is really the the focal point of Alabama's offense. So I don't know whether it's a long run, a couple of passes he catches. I'll go over. See, I was trying to bait you into the, into an under, yeah, because I I think when uh when you looked at that number or just face value, say, man, that, that's a lot, that's a lot of yards. Uh, and if you look just at what he's done over the course of the season, you would say, oh, well, that, you know, that's a high number. He hasn't really hit that a lot. But you look over the last month, dude, Gibbs has been on an absolute tear. He has been really, really effective in that offense, both running the ball and catching the ball. Huge, huge focal point of that offensive attack. So uh, I will also take the over there on Jameer Gibbs, 121 and a half scrimmage yards against the Bayou Bengals. Let's go to our next one. Either or, this one also a one-pointer. And we're actually going to do two categories this week, Ross, on Georgia versus Tennessee because we don't often get number one versus number two in the regular season. So I thought, all right, let's, let's, let's do two categories here on this game. So the first of two, we're going to do an either or. Who has more receiving touchdowns between Georgia tight end Brock Bowers and Tennessee wide receiver Cedric Tillman. Now, Tillman missed a large majority of the season due to an injury, made his return last week. So you think, all right, week number two, he's more ingrained in the offense, get back uh, into this role. I will say, I didn't put this in the in the note, the push will go to Tillman just because he's uh, uh, just coming off the injury, all right? So if they end up tying, the push will go to Tillman. Uh, so who's got more receiving touchdowns here, Ross? Bra- uh, Brock Bowers, the stud tight end for the Bulldogs, or Cedric Tillman from Tennessee? Well, that's interesting because now you just added new information. To I did. It. I, I did add a new one in there. I got because if there's a push, I don't. I don't want it to be left uh, left hanging there. We'll say the push goes to Tillman. I'm still going to go Bowers. Mm. I, you know, this is probably not the right number because the push is only going to be one or two touchdowns. So the push, you should take whoever the push is. In fact, I'm going to. I'm wimping out. <laughs> I'm taking Tillman. I know Hyatt's been the guy, but yep. The push going to Tillman is significant, especially with how good Tennessee's offense is. I'd be surprised if Bowers doesn't get at least one touchdown. I don't know that Tillman is, but I got to go with the odds. I got to go with the push. Uh, I will go... um... See, I, I'm trying to make up ground, and obviously these are marginal, right? These only these are only one-point wins, but uh, you know these one-pointers uh, do count for something. I am going to go opposite you here. I will take Brock Bowers. Uh, obviously, he had a huge game uh, this past week against Florida. I don't know if you saw like the uh, I think it was a 73-yard catch down the left sideline. It was a tip ball. He had to like pirouette in the air, uh, pulled it in, and, and ran away from the rest of the Florida defense. Um, you know, he's capable of doing that any given day. He's been their leading receiver this year, and for good reason. Uh, this guy is an absolute freak show athlete. And and pass catcher, and blocker, obviously, too. Uh, Brock Bowers, he is the real deal. So um, I will go Brock Bowers here. Uh, More receiving touchdowns than Cedric Tillman from Tennessee. Let's now go to the high-low. And again, staying in this game, which number is higher? Rushing yards for senior running back Kenny McIntosh from Georgia or Tennessee's total points in the game? Uh, Tennessee, obviously, uh, it was one of the lower point totals uh, that they've had this season when they only put up 44 against Kentucky. So they've been, you know, in that 40, 50, even the 60s range uh, at times here this season. Kenny McIntosh, uh, he's been in a little bit of a timeshare as that Georgia backfield tends to be. So who do you like here, Ross? What do you think? McIntosh rushing yards or Tennessee total points in this game? Yeah, I'm I'm going uh, McIntosh rushing yards. I mean, Tennessee can put up a lot of points, but even if they put up 48 points, McIntosh can still he can run for 90. get 50 yep. yards. So McIntosh rushing yards. Yeah, I, I'm going to go. Uh, hmm. I will go McIntosh rushing yards um, because uh, I, I, I do feel <laughs> I've gone back and forth on this, man, because uh, ultimately I think this Tennessee offense is just they are a load to stop, obviously. I mean, they, they have been putting up points in bunches. I don't know that Georgia is going to hold them to, like, 17 points. I, I just don't see that really being the case. Um, I do think that Georgia's going to have to put some points on the board. But that said, I think McIntosh has that ability to, if they get, you know, even, like, a comfortable, like, 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, he's the guy that you lean on uh, to kind of salt the clock away. So I, I will go McIntosh here uh, to rack up some yardage, maybe late in this game. Let's now get to our upset specials. These are the eight-pointers. These are the big swings. Uh, we'll see if I can catch you here this week. But, Ross, you will go first. Who do you like here for your upset special this week? There were two I thought real hard about. Some juicy real ones. Real hard yep. about. I'm still upset about Eastern Michigan last week. Gosh, that was going to be back-to-back weeks yes. that my upset special came through. Thought a lot about Liberty over Arkansas. Yep. You freeze in a good job. Liberty's got a good program. I thought maybe they were just a Malik Willis thing, but 
They've been good post Malik Willis, but I'm going to go with Auburn over Ooh. Mississippi State. I am going with the fired coach effect that sometimes happens. It's like it's not hanging over your head anymore. The interim coach comes in. It's Cadillac Williams. Yeah. Comes in and says, hey, guys, let's just have fun. Let's just get after it. And sometimes a team comes out and plays their best football of the season because of that. So give me Auburn over Mississippi State with the Cadillac effect. All right. So one, I'm going to throw one extra category in here at you. Over under, we'll say the age of like Abe Simpson when you hear the news that Cadillac Williams is being named the head coach at Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Literally, man. I was like, how, how old am I right now that, that, that this is what's happening uh, in my life right now? But uh, we'll see what Cadillac can do in the second half of the season. For me, I, I felt the same way. There were some juicy ones here, man. And there were some where I'm like, I'm going the opposite way. I'm surprised that some of these are, are as close as they are. I'm going to go a little bit further down our list, though. How about Michigan State over Illinois? Illinois has been really good this year, but Michigan State, they've been uh, like the, the highs and the lows. So if you catch them the right week, you know, maybe they can uh, you can catch some magic in a bottle here. I will go with the Spartans, and we'll, we'll celebrate uh, with Ike Reese on on uh, on Sunday um, if, if they're able to get that big win. So uh, I will go with Sparty here over the Illini, even though that Chase Brown, that offense, they've been so good. That defense has been very good. Uh, I will go with Michigan State. Uh, we'll see if they're able to come through for me, Ross. They. Uh, uh, we'll see if, if Sparty can come through. But, um, yeah, good stuff here, Ross. We'll see. It, this is going to be a fun week of college action. Make sure to check back next week. We'll see if Ross uh, is able to further extend his lead. Ross, thanks for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much, friend. All right, so great stuff there from Ross Tucker, as always, and uh, great stuff from Ben Fennel and Eric Galco as well. We'll be back next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Everybody enjoy another great weekend of college football.